So if you have a, a Bible with you, if you would turn to the book of 1 Timothy, here at Hope we preach through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, section by section. And you'll remember that the book of 1 Timothy is a letter, of what we call an epistle, by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians, to a, well, really to one Christian, to Timothy, who was a young pastor in Ephesus, but then he was to share this letter with other Christians so that they could understand what the church is about. What does it look like to, to lead a church? How does a congregation support its leaders? That's the purpose of this book of 1 Timothy. Now, last week, we, we looked at chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. And we, we focused on this theme of prayer, which is really the, the main point of this section. And we talked about this call for all types of prayer for all types of people. But today, we're going to actually look at this passage again. So we're going to have another sermon working from the same section. But today, instead of looking at the theme of prayer, the, the, the big idea of verse 1 to 7, we're going to focus on verse 5 in particular. And so again, turn to uh, 1 Timothy in your Bible. Um, this is also printed in your bulletin if you don't have a a Bible with you. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, and, and look specifically at verse 5. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, if you look at that word mediator, we, we touched on that word last week. But we focus more on the idea that there is one mediator. There's not multiple mediators between God and man. But we can ask the question, what is a mediator? Well, we use that word in English. The, the original Greek word means one who mediates between two parties to remove a disagreement or to reach a common goal. And of course, that's not terribly different from our word mediator. That's why it's a good word choice here in the, this English translation, because we talk about mediation, especially in the legal world. I, I pulled this from a legal website that said, mediation law refers to a form of alternative dispute resolution, ADR, in which parties in a lawsuit, so there's a lawsuit, there's conflict, meet with a neutral third party in an effort to settle the case. The third party is called a mediator. So that's a mediator. It's, a, it's someone who stands between two parties in opposition when there's conflict, who can represent both sides in a sense and can mediate the dispute. And so today, that's what our focus is going to be on, Jesus as our mediator. And we're going to look at three aspects of this mediation of Christ. And so the first thing we're going to look at today is the universal longing for a mediator. The universal longing for a mediator. Because when it says here that Jesus is the one mediator between God and man, the first reaction in some ways is, well, why does that matter? Is this something that we even need? What is the dispute? Why do we need a mediator? And it touches on a fundamental longing of the human heart that actually has a commonality among religions in the world. 
And to see this, we're actually going to turn to a passage outside of the book of First Timothy. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Job. This is in the Old Testament, the book of Job, chapter 9. And as you turn to, to Job 9, you'll remember that Job was this righteous and holy man. He served the Lord. But then you get this vision behind the, the scenes of what's going on spiritually, that Satan, the accuser, comes before God, and he accuses Job, and he, he says that the only reason Job was worshiping God, the only reason he was praising him and, and living his life for God was because of his outward blessings. And Satan said, God, if you take away his outward blessings, if you take away his, his wealth and his success and his health and his status, that he will not worship you, that he will curse you. And so God allows Satan to afflict Job, to put him to the test. First, Job loses his flocks and his herds and his wealth. He loses his family, his children in a terrible accident. And then God even allows him to afflict his health, that he is struck with terrible sores, terrible boils. It says at the beginning of Job that he was in the dust using a, a shard of a broken pot to scrape the boils off of his skin. And so it's in the midst of this suffering that Job was facing that he had three friends come to him as comforters, but who also joined in the accusation saying, Job, you're doing the one doing something wrong. You're suffering because you've sinned. And so this, the rest of the book, until God shows up at the end, is this dialogue between Job and his friends. And so in chapter 9, Job is speaking. He's reflecting on his suffering, on his situation. And listen to what Job says in, in chapter 9, verse 32. He says, For God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, and that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter, there's no mediator between us who might lay his hand on us both. Now, it's a little tough to hear at first uh, in our English translation, but in the, there's a Greek translation that was made about 200 years before the birth of Christ, of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, and that the, the word they use there for arbiter is the exact same word that we have in 1 Timothy 2 uh, for mediator. So, so you could say there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And what Job is saying is that there is no mediator. He sees no mediator between me and God who may lay his hand on us both. And so look at that, that image. He's saying that, that how am I going to go to trial with God? How can I make my case before God? Then in the, the mediation law of heaven, there is no neutral third party who can stand for both. There, there's no one who can come who can who can represent man, who can speak to man, but they can also represent God and, and speak to God. So he, he looked around the world around him. He wasn't going to settle, settle for any kind of lesser mediator. And he says, there's, there's no one, there, there's no mediator between God and man that I see in the world today. But yet you can see here his longing for a mediator. And I think that the, the longing of Job here in our text reflects a deep longing of the human heart. This longing for something 
or someone to stand between us and God, to stand between us and the divine, between us and the, the supernatural. And this is something that uh, Herman Bavink, he's a well-known theologian, um, wrote a really great collection of volumes called Reform Dogmatics, and he has this discussion when he's discussing Christ as the mediator about this universal longing of the human heart for a mediator. And he points out that if you, if you study world religions, that, that nearly every religion has some idea of the mediator. The idea of someone who stands between you as a mere human and God or the, the divine or the supernatural. And so he traces this theme. He, he talks about Native American religions, that you might look to a, a shaman or to a soothsayer. You have Egyptian religion, people look to Osiris as a, as a mediator bridging the gap. Or to Norse religion, people look to Balder to, to bridge the gap. Or in the religions of India, they, people look to, to Krishna as a mediator to bridge the gap. Or in Roman religion, people look to Caesar to bridge the gap as a mediator. Or in medieval religion, people might look to a, a priest or to a monk or to a religious institution. But the the fundamental desire is the same, that people recognize on a deep level that, that there is a supernatural reality, there is God, and that, that something has to stand between you, something has to, to mediate this relationship. I mean, I'm, I'm always struck even when you go out and you turn south onto 202, there is a psychic boutique just right around the corner there on, on 202, right before you pass into Delaware. And, and, and it, there, it's the idea, there's tarot cards, there is this sense that you go and you could pay money to somebody who in some sense serves as a mediator who can represent you to the supernatural, to the divine, who can somehow bridge that gap. And of course, this is the, the universal longing. And I, and I love what else Bavink, who I mentioned earlier, says, he, he writes, that history does not tell us how all of these sacred persons acquired their rank and status, but their universal presence serves to show that we are here dealing with a phenomenon that is not accidental, but rooted in the characteristic essence of religion itself, and corresponds to a profound need in human nature. That this is a profound need in human nature planted deep within us, and he says that in its most beautiful and noble expressions, this longing for a mediator points to Christianity. Jesus is not only the Messiah of Israel, but also, as the authorized version puts it in Haggai 2.7, the desire of all nations. And I think that what Bob Inc. there is saying is right, that, that he is the, the desire of all nations, that, that there is this longing for something to stand between us and and the divine, something, as Job said, that can put his hand on both sides, can bring it together in its dispute. And of course, it, it takes lots of different forms. It, people maybe don't agree on who or what is the mediator, but there is a longing for this nonetheless. And this longing for a mediator is rooted in a, in a very important idea, that we see this common longing because on a very deep level, we sense a distance between us and God. 
Now, we might try to intellectually deny that distance. We might try to rationalize that distance. We might try to pretend like we think we can approach God ourselves on our own strength and wisdom. But according to the Bible, there is a distance between God and man in two different ways. There is what we could call a natural distance between us and God. And then the natural distance is that God is infinite. We are finite. God is unlimited. We are limited. God is creator. We are creature. And that means that as finite creatures, the finite cannot contain the infinite. That means that if we were to try to approach God on our own terms, in our own way, we, we can't do it. We can't bridge the gap to the infinite. That it takes this voluntary condescension on God's part for God to come down, God to enter into a covenant with us, God to offer a mediator, God to bridge this, this natural gulf between us and himself. And that's just the natural distance between us and God that makes a, a, a mediator necessary. But then there's an even greater distance, an infinitely great distance that is a moral distance between us and God. Because not only is God infinite, but he is infinitely holy, infinitely good, infinitely righteous. And then we fall short of that glory every single day that we fail to perfectly obey God's law. We fail to perfectly keep his commandments. We fail to, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love our children perfectly, to love our spouse perfectly, to serve him perfectly. And that begins to, to put this gulf that it's like the canyons on the, the, the chasm of the Grand Canyon growing further and further apart until you can barely see to the other side that we can't bridge this gap ourselves. And that is our moral distance from God, this, this reason that we need a mediator. We need something to build a bridge from ourselves back to God. And so this is then the root behind a, a universal longing for a mediator. So this is where then we move from our, our first observation about a mediator, this universal longing, to our second observations this morning. And so it's not just that we have a universal longing for a mediator, but as we turn to the scripture, we get an Old Testament picture of a mediator. What kind of a mediator are we to look to? Well, before the full reality of the mediator, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus came into the world, God began to set up a picture of this mediation to show our need for someone to stand between us and God. And the great picture of a mediator in the Old Testament is a man named Moses, who was the, the first and greatest prophet. And we read in, in the book of Exodus that as Israel was languishing in slavery, that, that God brought them out through the hand of Moses, brought them out of the land of Egypt, that Moses was a mediator. And then he brought them to, the, to Mount Sinai, and Moses was a mediator who delivered the law of God to the people. But then as they were gathered, as Moses was up receiving the law, it says in Scripture that Israel built a golden calf, and they started to worship this idol, and then listen to how God responds to their idolatry in Exodus 32, verse 9. It says that, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. 
Now, therefore, let me alone that, uh, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I, may, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So there you see what we're talking about. That's the, the moral distance between us and God. That God sees the sin. He sees the idolatry of Israel. He says they're a stiff-necked people. He says that his anger is burning against them. He's going to consume them. But then stepping between Israel and God comes Moses, verse 11. It says, But Moses implored the Lord and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did you bring them to kill them? and to the mountains, and to the consume them from off the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring that they shall inherit it forever." Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And so there in this passage, you see a very vivid picture of mediation. We have a a longing for a mediator, but then in this Old Testament picture of the mediator, God's wrath is burning, Moses is interceding, He's, he's appealing to the honor of God, to the glory of God, calling God to turn away his wrath from the people. And it says that God relented of the disaster that he was going to bring. Now, of course, there's a host of questions that this raises that we don't have time to fully explore today. But one of the big questions is, did Moses change God's mind? Did a mere human have more compassion than God to turn back his wrath against Israel? And this is where I was actually helped in seminary by a Jewish commentator on this text who who didn't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, but he pointed out that when when Moses is speaking, he's speaking as a prophet, speaking for God. And as he intercedes here, as he stands as a mediator for Israel, that he is, in a sense, speaking the word of God to God. And so it's not God, Israel, and Moses— But it's really God and Israel as the two parties. And that Moses is is there just speaking the word of God. And that's because Moses is ultimately just a, he's a picture. He's a a type pointing forward to a true mediator. He wasn't the true and final mediator um, because he himself was a sinful man who needed a mediator. He couldn't enter the promised land at the end of his life because of his sin. And even though he said this picture, this type for Israel, the mediator that they were looking for, they said another prophet will arise, a greater prophet than Moses. But throughout the history following Moses then, people longed for a mediator, but they couldn't find one to stand in the breach between God. For instance, even in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, Israel is about to go into captivity in Babylon. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. Listen to what God says. This is Ezekiel 20, verse 30. God says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. 
So there's God saying, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for a mediator to stand in the breach, to stand in the no man's land between me and the people, uh, to, to turn away the, the wrath for, for a true Moses, not just the picture of mediation that Moses was, but for a real mediator. But then he says, I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. That's God then saying, I don't see a mediator here who can represent both sides, who can put his hands on both, who can turn away the wrath. And so Israel went away into captivity for their sins. But all of this, the the longing for a mediator that we saw in Job, the picture of a mediator that we see here in Moses, all of these things are pointing forward to the to our third and final point today, which is not just the longing, not just the picture, but the New Testament reality of a mediator, the New Testament reality. And this is where we can turn back to our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Because Job ultimately was longing for a mediator, someone who could put his hands on, on both sides, who could, who could represent him before God. At his time, he said, I don't see anyone who can do that. But then in the fullness of time, Jesus comes as the one for whom Job was longing all along. Jesus comes then as the true Moses, as the, the true mediator, the true representative. And it's all because he can actually truly represent both sides of God and man because he is fully God and fully man in one person. And that's what makes him the mediator. That's what makes him the only mediator because he's the only one who can actually truly bridge the gap. And I I love how a, a Puritan pastor, theologian, Thomas Watts, puts this. He says that Christ may fitly be compared to Jacob's ladder, which reaches from earth to heaven in Genesis 28. Christ's human nature was the foot of the ladder, which stood upon the earth. His divine nature was the top of the ladder, which reaches to heaven. And so that's this, this visual that you can have, that, that the human nature of Christ is the ladder on the earth. It's, it's a savior who is truly human, who can truly sympathize with our weakness in every single way, who can stand with us, who can speak to us. But then the top of the ladder is his divine nature, that, that he is truly God, truly partaker in the divine nature, which is why Jesus himself says in Matthew 11 that no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so then when you look at this, just as we said that there weren't three parties with Moses, there was God, Israel, and God speaking to God through Moses, that is the same thing here where we don't have three parties, God, Jesus, and us. But there, there is God and man, and that Jesus comes as the representative who in his person is both simultaneously. And that's why Bob Inc., whom we mentioned earlier, says this. He says that he's not a third party coming from the outside who intervenes between God and us, but is himself the Son of God, the reflection of his glory, the exact imprint of his very being, a partaker in God's essence and his attributes and his nature, and the, the, the same time the Son of Man, the head of all humanity, Lord of the church, 
He does not stand between two parties. He is those two parties in his own person. This is Jesus, God and man, both parties in himself. And so then this comes to each and every one of us this morning to consider this mediator between God and man. We all long for a mediator. We all need a mediator. But what mediator are you looking for this morning? Maybe you are relying on the mediation of a godly spouse. Maybe you're relying on the mediation of a godly parent or a godly friend. Maybe you're looking to the mediation of a, of a church or a pastor or a religious institution. Maybe you're even looking for your own mediation, thinking that you yourself and your own goodness can bridge the gap. But what we see here is this profound need for the mediator of the Bible, the one mediator between God and man. He is the only one who can bridge the gap. He is the only one who is truly man and truly God in one person. And therefore, that's why we take hold of Jesus today. And we do that when we admit our natural distance to God. We say, God, you are infinite. I am finite. We say, God, I can't bridge the gap. I can't understand your ways. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around your glory and your power and your majesty as one who can make all things, can speak all things into existence. We admit, I, I'm one who sinned. I'm, I'm one who has fallen short. I'm one who can't save myself. I need a mediator. And then we see Jesus in the eye of faith. We see one who, who died on the cross, who lived a perfect life, who rose again from the dead, who's coming again in glory. And we say, this is the, the mediator. This is who I can hold on to who will bring me to God, that I truly can have a relationship with God. I can know God, I can have fellowship with God, and it's through Jesus who then becomes ultimately our, our prophet who speaks the word of God to us, who becomes our priest who lays his life down, who intercedes for us. He becomes our king who rules us and governs us. This is our, our great high priest, the mediator between God and man. And just to, to leave us today, I'll read a, a verse, uh, well, a few verses from Hebrews chapter 4. This is speaking of our mediator. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray.